Thank you so much, praise team. I just love this group and their ministry to us, and thank you for leading us to worship our blessed Lord this morning. I have a couple of notes that have been handed to me, and I just want to uh, read them. Uh, for our NMU students, um, there is a, a small gift for you, as well as refreshments, at our uh, table out in the lobby after the service. So be sure to stop by there. And then tonight there is going to be a picnic at the Songers, which is sort of a kickoff uh, for the Bible study this fall. And um, just let me mention to you, the Songers are a beautiful home. It's set back in the woods. Laura is a wonderful gardener. And so uh, this time of the year at their place is just beautiful. And so if you can be there at 6 o'clock, you will just have a very... Very special time. So see them after the service today. Three years ago, I was afflicted with severe arthritic pain in my neck. For the first two months, I had no idea what it was. So I spent two months seeking the wrong treatment. Little did I know that my ordeal was going to drag on for Six seemingly very long months. During that time, the pain was so unbearable that the only time I got relief was when I was lying flat on my back. Uh, Have you ever tried to study lying flat on your back? It's not something you can do. And I remember there were days that I could no longer study at my desk like I used to. The pain was just simply too great for me to keep my head up. Finally, I had to stand in this pulpit before the church and say that I was taking a leave of absence from the pulpit because I could no longer study effectively. You know, that was one of the most humiliating days of my life. For a man to stand before a group of people and say, I can no longer do my job, that's a very humbling thing. To stand before people and be weak is something that no one wants. And I remember how very awkward it was for me that day. Over the summer months, as the therapy initially did not solve my problem, I began to struggle emotionally. The thoughts went through my mind like this, uh, is this it for me, I wonder? If you can't study, you can't preach. I began to wonder, was I going to have to go on disability? Would my ministry be over? Do you know emotional and psychological pain is sometimes worse than the physical pain? because it compounds the problem. Now, Obviously, you can tell that I'm doing much better. And I'm very glad to stand before you and say today that I can study without limitation today. Praise the Lord for that. And while I would not want to go back through that experience, I now realize that God did some very special things in my life as a result of that. What I failed to understand then, but I now realize, is that God was chastening me. You see, there were some very valuable lessons that I needed to learn 
And during that experience, God taught me those lessons. Did you know that God chastens all of his children? He chastens you as well as me. And there are a lot of things that he uses. He can use illness. He can use suffering. Sometimes the consequences of the wrongs we have done, he will use. Sometimes he will just cause things not to work out, and it seems as though there are obstacles in our ways. Other times it is relationship problems that he will use. But God chastens his children. Now, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible on God's chastening is Psalm 6. We've been doing a series of sermons in Psalms 3 through 7, and this morning we come to Psalm 6. And the title of this psalm is How to Pray When Undergoing Chastening. And today, as we look at this psalm, what God is going to do is He's going to show us two things. Number one, he's going to show us the anatomy of chastening, how it works in our life. And then David is going to conclude by a call to prayer. How do you pray when you are being chastened? Are you in some pain today? You will be if you're not. You have been if you're not now. And someday I can guarantee you, you will need this psalm. Let's take a moment, shall we, and let's pray together and ask God to teach us today. Father, it is absolutely true that everyone here today has been in pain, is possibly in pain right now, or will be in pain. And our flesh, Father, chafes under that pain We often feel exactly the way David felt in Psalm 6. But Lord, your desire is that we would get the most benefit from what we are going through that you have designed for us. And rather than rejecting your purposes and rebelling against them, may we come in humble submission and faith so that you might accomplish in us and then through us all that you have designed our problems for. Guide us now. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to respond and wills to submit to you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Open your Bibles to Psalm 6 and let's begin this morning by looking at the anatomy of chastening. How does chastening work in our life? What is God's design for it? I want you to notice as we begin in this opening verse, this very critical lesson. First of all, chastening comes from God's love, not from his anger. Look at verse 1. O Lord, says David, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. 
Now, it is very easy as we experience chastening in our lives to feel that God is angry with us, and that's why we are going through chastening. What happens is this, we reason that if God truly loved us, then he would spare us all the pain that we are going through. The longer it goes on, the more our emotions overwhelm us, and we begin to assume that God must be angry with us. It is absolutely clear, without any question whatsoever, that David's emotions had taken over in his experience, and he felt this way. You know what one pastor says as he uh, reads this psalm? He says, David felt like he had a target on his back, and God was shooting at him. You ever felt that way? That's the way David felt. Now notice how we see that. First word in this psalm is, O Lord. It is, it is God's personal name, Yahweh. You'll notice that there is no labored or elaborate introduction. There's no uh, my God and my King like we saw at the beginning of Psalm 5. This is a desperate cry from a desperate man who feels overwhelmed by what is happening. And so he just blurts out the Lord's name. By the way, in the first four verses alone, five times David calls out God's name, Yahweh, O Lord. He feels so alone. I want you to notice also something very critical in verse 1. In the original language, the phrases in verse 1 are actually reversed. David literally says, Not in your anger rebuke me, Lord. Not in your wrath discipline me. And so the two phrases, not in your anger and not in your wrath, actually come first So what he is emphasizing is the fact that he is not suffering because of any sin. Rather, it is the discipline of the Lord that he is experiencing. And David does not know why, nor does he know how long. And then the real thing that shows us that this is his emotions that have taken over, that is not God's anger, is look what he says in verse 4. He says, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. The phrase there, return, means to return. David literally feels abandoned by God. He feels his presence is not there. Have you ever been there? I remember a time in my life when what I was going through caused me literally to say to God in my thoughts, Lord, is this a cruel joke that you are playing on me? If you have never been that place in your life, I have to confess to you, you are better than me. David's pain in this psalm is so great, he begins to question God's very love. Now, how can we be absolutely sure that David's emotions have taken over and he is not being chastened in God's anger? 
It is because of the central verse in the Bible on chastening, which is found in the Old Testament and quoted in the New Testament. It's so critical that we get this this morning that I want you to read these verses together with me in unison. You need to understand this for the pain of your own life. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. Let's read this seminal passage on why God chastens and the reason it comes. Would you join me in reading? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Do you see what was going on? David was taking his theology from his circumstances, but we must take our theology from God's word, right? And chastening is an evidence of the love of God. I read about a man who saw a group of boys teasing an old defenseless beggar on the street. The man walked over, grabbed one of the boys by the collar, shook him, and dragged him away. Guess who that man was? He was that boy's father. Now that's a very embarrassing thing to have happen in front of your friends. To have your dad grab you by the collar, shake you, and drag you home for probably some more discipline. But when you are teasing a defenseless old man, that's exactly what you need. Let me ask you this morning, who loved their son more? That father who chastened his son or the fathers who did not? And I think you know the answer. It is the same with God. It is because God loves us that He allows the chastening rod in our lives. Chastening, brothers and sisters, the pain that we must go through, we must always remember, do not take your theology from your circumstances, take it from God's Word, and it is God's love that allows that chastening. Secondly, as we look at the anatomy of chastening, we discover that chastening is very, very, very painful. Did I say very? I sure did. David's pain was enormous, enormous. Now clearly he was sick because as you look at verse 2, he said, Lord, heal me. 
So there's no question that he was sick. And if we wonder how sick was he, well, I want you to notice in verse 5, he thought he was going to die. Look what he says. He says in verse 5, For in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol who will praise you. Now this does not refer to soul sleep, which is taught by the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists. What they teach is that death, both soul and body, go to sleep in the grave and you are unconscious until the day of resurrection when God awakens you, both soul and body. And they will point to this very verse to say the Bible teaches soul sleep. Wrong. The Bible is clear, at the moment of death for the believer, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So what's going on here in verse 5? David thought he was going to die before his time. He felt that he had more work to do. Remember what we said, William Carey said years ago? He said, I am immortal until the will of God for me is accomplished. And David believed that in his mind, but he was so sick, he thought, I'm going to die before my time, and now he's pleading with God, do not allow me to die before my work is accomplished. Notice his whole body is racked with pain. If you look with me at verse 2, he says, My bones are troubled. There, uh, that's a figure of speech. The bones is a reference to one's whole physical structure. So he is saying that pain was coursing through his entire body. So weak was he that he was emotionally and psychologically exhausted from suffering so long. Look back again at verse 2 and verse 3. And in the original text, the word for languishing or troubled, which is used three times in the space of two verses, means to be feeble in mind and body. If you wonder how weak and feeble and exhausted was he, look down at verses 6 and 7, because verses 6 and 7 sort of expand on what he was going through in verse 2. Look at those verses. I'm weary with my groaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. By the way, doesn't that just sound like somebody who's burning up with fever? Doesn't it? One Bible student has called this the emotional anatomy of an illness. And just, just follow along. Verse 6, you have moaning due to the physical pain. Then you have crying that drenched his bed with tears. You often know that people that are sick for a long period of time are are burning up with fever, and so they sweat while they are in bed. There is insomnia that he was going through, sleepless nights because of the grief that he was experiencing, 
And then in verse 7, he describes having bloodshot eyes due to the pain, the fatigue, and the emotional distress. And then he was afraid, verse 5, that he was going to die before his time. Now notice that compounding all of this, his enemies taunted him. He says, I'm struggling in grief, verse 7, because of all my foes. You want to know what they were saying? They were saying, David, you're sick because of sin. They were expecting his demise at any time. And they were even plotting against him. Look down at verse 10 and notice what he says. All my enemies shall be ashamed, greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. At the very time when he needed friends, he was being kicked while he was down. You know what one Bible student said as he read all of this? He said, it sounds like cancer. Did David have cancer in this episode? We don't know if he did, but the effects are as bad. Listen to what Pastor Donald Williams describes about cancer and see if it doesn't fit what we're reading here. In reading this description, we think of cancer patients today. When tumors begin to grow, especially in the colon, weight loss sets in, and dull and intense pain is always present. Initial anger gives way to depression, and guilt may also be present because of the demands made on loved ones and their grief at impending death. Says Pastor Williams, I experienced all of this with the loss of my father-in-law who died at 52 years of age of cancer. Cancer was also, has also struck other close relatives and members of our church. The question can easily come, what have I done to deserve this? By the way, what's the answer to that question? What's the answer to that question? Many times, nothing. Many times, nothing. And so as we look at this and and we see what David is going through, we have to then ask this question. If he has done nothing to deserve this, why is God chastening him? Third truth in this anatomy of chastening. Third truth is chastening is for the purpose of learning. Chastening is for the purpose of learning. Did you notice David's question at the end of verse 3? His question is, but you, O Lord, how long? That is a very interesting figure of speech where you break off your sentence. And what David is doing here is he is just shouting out in frustration. He wants to say more to the Lord, but in frustration, all he can say is, how long? Do you know, next to the question why, this is probably the most often asked question. 
How long? How long? Those six months of horrible pain? How long? When I was a student in high school, I developed a severe eye pain, both eyes. It lasted for a year into my first year of college. And so many times I wanted to say, Lord, how long? Maybe you are here today and whatever pain it is you have gone through has been longer than six months, longer than a year. And if you are honest, you have said many times, how long? Do you know the answer to that question is in the meaning of the word chasten and discipline? The opening verse, the word rebuke and discipline or chasten are synonyms. They refer to the same thing. And the answer to David's question in verse 3, how long, is found in the meaning of that word discipline or chasten. There was a, uh, uh, an English Puritan pastor. His name was Rob Thomas Brooks. And I want you to notice what he said one time about this word, chasten, and its application to our life. Please don't miss this this morning. It is the critical answer to why God is allowing you to suffer as long as he is and what he wants to accomplish. Look at what Pastor Thomas so insightfully said. God's corrections are our instructions. His lashes are lessons. His scourges are schoolmasters. His chastisements are advertisements. And to note this, the Hebrews and Greeks both express chastening and teaching by one and the same word because the latter teaching is the true end of the former chastening. Now when I saw that, I thought, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the word chastening also meant teaching or instruction, and the whole purpose of chastening is God is designing to teach us. And so I went to the Hebrew dictionary of the Old Testament. I looked up the word chasten. Guess what the very first two definitions of it are? To admonish and to instruct. And then, only then, does it mean to chasten. And I thought to myself, by golly, Pastor Thomas Brooks is right. The first meaning for chasten is to instruct or to teach. And then it's a result of that that God allows us to suffer and struggle so that he can train and teach us. This is then the answer to the question. God will chasten us as long as he sees fit to teach us what he wants us to learn. How many of you are enjoying this at this moment in the sermon? Of course we're not. 
And yet we know it is the way of God with His children. I love what Pastor Warren Wiersbe says at this point. Listen to what he says. The answer to the question, how long, is, I will discipline you until you learn the lesson I want you to learn and are equipped for the work I want you to do. According to Hebrews 12, when God disciplines us, we can despise it, resist it, collapse under it and quit, or accept it and submit. What God is seeking is submission. The question we should not ask is, when will I get out of this? But rather, we ought to ask, what can I get out of this? The question is not, when will I get out of this? The question is, what can I get out of this? Can I pause this morning and ask you a very pointed question? Are you learning what God wants you to learn? And being equipped for what God wants you to do? If not, you are wasting your chastening. You are wasting your pain. Brothers and sisters, it is too painful. It is too painful. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste the pain that God has allowed into your life for however long He decides. What a horrible waste for us to go through incredible pain and learn nothing from it because the whole time we were rejecting it, resisting it, collapsing under it, quitting over it. God says to us in His Word, I know what's best for you. I am teaching you some great lessons if you only look up and listen. And do not ask, when will I get over this? Ask instead, what can I get out of? That's why God is allowing it. Now there is a fourth point in this anatomy of chastening. And that is chastening should drive us to prayer. Chastening should drive us to prayer. Brothers and sisters, these are the takeaways for us today from Psalms 6. And this morning, I want to give you three of them. Chastening ought to drive us to our knees before our God in prayer. And these are the lessons that we ought to learn. These are our takeaways for today. Number one, be honest and open with God about your feelings and your concerns. One of the great things about the Psalms is that the authors do not hide their feelings, do they? They don't put on spiritual pretense like we often do when we come to church. How you doing? I'm doing fine. 
Oh, really? The psalmists, if they felt lousy, they told God all about it. Now, did you notice David does not rail at God? But he tells God how he feels, and he tells God what it is that he desires. He is open and honest. One pastor has said this, if our prayers are not honest, they are not prayers. And that's true. God knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're desiring. So if you're not being honest with Him, you're not really praying. Prayers that are not honest are not prayers. Second, pray that God's will may be accomplished through your chastening. Notice in verse 2, David says, Lord, be gracious to me. And then at the end of verse 4, he says, Save me, Lord, for the sake of your steadfast love. As a believer, David knows he is in a relationship with God due to pure grace. That's true of all of us. That's true of all of us. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have come into a relationship with God because of pure grace. Jesus died for us. He rose again from the dead for us. If we trust him by faith, he saves us. And it is all pure grace. And because it's all pure grace, God does not owe us a cushy life that is pain-free and easy because if he did, then it would no longer be on, on, it would no longer be on the basis of grace. God does not owe us anything, and David prays that way. I had a funeral for a man by the name of Irving Neal. He said, whatever people say to me, Lord, why me? He said, I say, why not me? And there's a lot of biblical wisdom in that. And we can pray and we can ask God, Lord, this is how I feel, this is what I desire, this is what I want. But in the end, we can never demand our way or it is not grace. Thirdly, pray that God will be glorified however He answers your prayer. Pray that God will be glorified however he answers your prayer. Look at how the psalm concludes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Now somehow, God gave to David the assurance that he was going to be healed and his enemies would be defeated. Please follow me very carefully here. David was a prophet. Therefore, he could reveal God's will. We cannot. We cannot. So what God revealed to David, I'm going to heal you and I'm going to defeat your enemies, we do not always know as we pray. But I want you to notice that as David prayed, his greatest concern was the Lord. Did you notice in verses 8, 9, and 10, three times he used the Lord's name? 
His greatest concern was that the Lord would triumph over all evil. Ultimately, what David is saying is, Lord, the answer to my prayer is not about me. It's ultimately about you and your purposes through me. So what I learn here is so critical. We do not know God's purposes, but we can pray that God will get glory through us. That's how we pray. Lord, I do not know how you're going to answer. But I pray that you will get glory through this. Brothers and sisters, this morning, if we can pray in these three ways, do you think God will take care of the rest? Of course he will. Of course he will. If we can pay, pray in these three ways, God will take care of the rest. This morning, let's affirm our faith to the Lord, shall we? Would you join me? And let's affirm, Father, This is how I want to come before you. Let's affirm all three together. Would you join me as a congregation? Number one, be honest and open with God about your feelings and concerns. Number two, pray that God's will may be accomplished through your chastening. And number three, pray that God will be glorified however he answers your prayers. God loves to take care of people who come to him like this. Let's thank him for it. Father, Thank you today that you are an all-wise and all-good God. Thank you that you know exactly what you are doing in the life of your children. Help us, Lord, to know that the purpose of chastening is for our learning. And you will chasten us in any way for as long as you desire that we might learn and become all that you want us to be. I pray, Lord, for somebody today in our midst who is not submitting to the will of God, not learning the things that you have for them, perhaps chafing, rebelling, refusing to come under your hand of instruction. Lord, until they humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, the Lord will not lift them up in due time. It is when we are 
humbled and submissive, letting the Spirit of God through the Word of God and the people of God teach us. That then we see the gracious goodness and purposes of the Lord. And I pray for somebody today who is crying out how long and who is questioning the Lord's dealings. May you today bring them to a renewed understanding. Grant them hope that God is too wise to make a mistake and too loving to want to do so. And I pray that rising up in the arms of faith, they will go stronger, purer, more holy and righteous as we sang earlier, and more faithful to your will. May we as a church be people not of pretense, but may we live open and honest before each other not hiding our struggles and our pain, but allowing others into our life so that we might receive the kind of guidance that you desire us to have. Teach us from this wonderful man of God, David. For Jesus' sake, we pray.